Hello and welcome to a new Step Back 3. We moved twice a week for college basketball because season's heating up. I'm excited. Logan's excited. It's just so much fun. Uh, I'm talking really harsh tones. It's late at night, so I don't know. Uh, so it's really exciting, even if my tone of voice doesn't show it because I'm in choir, but I would be screaming right now with all the college basketball excitement. Um, t- I'm taping this Friday night, so Logan and my Billikens did take the win over Richmond. We're back, baby. Uh, you'll hear about that a little bit in our A-10 watch. But just a couple in- injuries I want to touch on at the top because we didn't get to talk about these. So first, just Iodesumu's nose injury. I can't be too concerned because obviously you've seen plenty of guys play through that where I don't think it will be a long-term concern where he should be back for those must-win games where, yeah, in an ideal world, you do want to beat Wisconsin tomorrow, but at the end of the day, it's not a must-win game. Desumo, I'm feeling fine about his health for the future. And then the other injury I just wanted to touch on would be Oscar Silva, who was out last night with a lower extremity. So I was entertained by that and then wanted to kind of touch on a couple Pac-12 things. So first off, I mean, Oregon, they're, they're definitely back in it, just playing really good basketball of late. I mean, they, obviously they got clobbered a little bit by USC, but that's to be expected with USC. I mean, Oregon, I'm not sure how cohesive a unit they are because Chris Duarte and then LJ Figueroa, who I ate up last year at St. John's, loved him. Eugene Amari, Amari who is proving to be one of their best players, a lot of good players in Eugene, but the team fit remains to be seen. Uh, it, can Eugene from Eugene, as Bill Walton likes to call him, lead them? Will it be Duarte, Figueroa? I can't wait to see. Oregon's a solid team, but then also on the other end for Stanford. Here's just one thing I noticed a couple times on watching basketball Thursday night. I lose both Ohio State and Stanford did this down three. Their inbounder had no idea what they were doing, both down three, you need a three-pointer essentially, very little time left where you don't have enough time to go for a whole play where you just inbound it, take five dribbles, shoot, no, or take take a pass, no, you don't really have time for that, so it was weird the tosses both inbounders made where they just chucked it 60, 70 feet, and that doesn't seem super smart because Okay, let's say you absolutely nail the pass. You are given the best arm in the NFL for this inbound. Okay, then what happens? Then your big man, generally uh, a less than capable shooter, I mean Liddell for Ohio State is obviously a good shooter, he has to catch it, turn around, and make a three. I'm taking my chance with a half quarter with a guard that where I, I know that pass is getting completed. I know my guy's going to get a shot up that that is way better than this scenario where a million things have to go right for you to even have a feasible chance at it and then also you're gonna have a couple guys bunched up near the big so you're not gonna get a good look off so at the end of the day I'm willing to exchange a few feet of distance for a bit more space a better chance at completing the pass because 
the end of the day, you just do want to have some someone. So anyway, that, that's my rant on end of game heaves. But yeah, a lot of fun stuff right now in college basketball. Last night I was losing my mind because there was so much excitement where I'm like, okay, I, I just can't figure out where to divert my attention. We got Ohio State, Michigan State, Boise State, San Diego State, which went to overtime, Oregon, Stanford, Northwestern, Minnesota was a good game until Northwestern wound up pulling away in the final minutes. And then USC, Colorado was also on, but Colorado wound up pulling away in that one. So just a lot of fun storylines all around college basketball. Hope you guys enjoy the episode. Okay, welcome to a new Step Back 3. So we've already been enjoying the college basketball season. It's been a lot of fun, Just, but it has been there, – there haven't been – the big surprise there hasn't been a big surprise this season sure you had the slow start for kentucky other things but in january in february we were beginning to establish a status quo but michigan state just blew that up two top five wins in the same week logan first thoughts i mean it basically shows how dangerous teams can be when they're extremely desperate a week and a half ago it looked like all hope was lost for michigan state but now Three straight solid victories. Obviously, two against the um, two against the top five teams, both at home for both at home for Sparty. Um, <clears throat> I'll talk about them more when I kind of do my weekly big my. I guess now since we we've already done this once in a week, my um, daily or so big sort of big 10 segments that's since that's kind of where my expertise lies but um <clears throat> great uh great win overall great win over ohio state really back and forth second half and um one thing that really impressed me is the physicality they showed down the stretch for sure yeah so i guess now that we're moving to twice a week for these podcasts i guess now your big 10 updates are bi-weekly but bi-weekly is like my least favorite word in the entire English language because it can mean both twice a week and every other week and it's just can you create another word I mean I I think I don't bi-weekly makes sense because I don't every other week I think of like maybe fortnightly <laughs> that'd be good yeah uh yeah that, that would, that would... every or you can just say every other week we're bi-weekly there's less leeway yeah, good, good point. Uh, so so then just previewing for Michigan State coming up, it's a little bit of a battle of the hot streaks coming up for them on Sunday where they play Maryland in a game that perhaps looked very boring a couple weeks ago where possibly you could just afford to skip it because those two teams wouldn't be making the tournament. Not the case anymore. Obviously, Michigan State with a three-game win streak, but then very quietly, Maryland's playing good basketball recently. They beat Minnesota beat Nebraska, beat Nebraska, beat Rutgers. As I just said that, I realized two of the wins were against Nebraska, but still four-game win streak in the Big Ten. It doesn't matter who, who it's against. That's always difficult, always really impressive. Right. I was kind of surprised. That I um, I forget what uh, – it was some some game I was watching when they meant, when they uh, mentioned, that win, mentioned that win streak. And I don't – this is like a – I definitely like some of the teams in the Big Ten more than Maryland because I feel like they don't um, – they're kind of on the lower spectrum of, like, the talent gap and or the talent distribution in the Big Ten. So they're not the – they're not the most – they're not the most exciting, but um, they can play good team basketball. 
yeah, <clears throat> he doesn't super show up on the stat sheets. He's only averaging uh, like 12 points, seven rebounds. But I've noticed some really good stuff from Dante Scott, quietly one of the better uh, bigs in the Big Ten. I mean, it's just there are so many that you can't blame anybody for almost losing track of him, just another one of the really good big men. But, but if you look at some of the efficiency numbers, he, he is right there at Maryland, just, just with some of the other really good players in this conference. Like he's top five in box plus minus with Isaiah Livers, Micah Potter, Franz Wagner, and Luca Garza. And I don't blame anybody for almost forgetting about Dante Scott, because there are so many good bigs that, uh, yesterday, it was easy to get excited about Luca Garza. It was easy to get, get excited about Hunter Diggins and so many players. But then Scott, I think, deserves some recognition because in another conference where maybe less populated with great bigs, we would be talking about him as one of the premier bigs in the conference. For example, you mentioned this once about how the Big 12 is a very guard-centric conference. You think, what if Dante Scott is at, say, Oklahoma? Are we talking about him as one of the best bigs in the country, one of the best bigs in the conference? I don't know. I mean, Scott, his, I feel like his size kind of limits his ability to kind of don, to be able to dominate in the Big Ten, which is probably one, which is probably the biggest conference among the power, among the power five. And um, in the Big 12, it, uh, the conference features really some really strong uh, perimeter defending bigs, which could kind of shut down part of uh, Scott's game since he's not a traditional big that um, is mostly that um, predominantly scores inside. His game relies on his ability to create on the perimeter as well. Yep, shooting 45% uh, for the year from I would love to see Mark Vital and Dante Scott, two of those almost undersized bigs who are still really physical, go at it. So Michigan yesterday, how was that win for you beating Iowa? I'm, I'm, I think I'm talking – I just got myself talking to Juwan Howard, but we'll say you are Michigan Wolverines. So, Mr. Wolverine, what was it like yesterday? I These kind of 4 o'clock games are – kind of tough for me because I only got to watch half the game because I had to go to some practice uh not complaining because it could have been a five o'clock game which is actually the worst because I can't watch any of the game in real time but it was I mean I really I couldn't ask for a better game we held um I we did something unprecedented which was holding Iowa to under 30 points in both halves, which had they hadn't even scored under, they hadn't scored under 30 in any half um, prior to this game, completely neutralized the uh, statistic metric, metric speaking, the um, best offense, NC2A, held them at 35% shooting, 57 points. Um, Luke and Garza shot less than uh, 33, per, shot less than, 33% and front and Franz Wagner seemed uh, really came and re really came into his own at the game. The kind of mismatch that he provides as a six foot nine guard was really difficult for um, Iowa to contain. He is a super fascinating player. I know early in the season, sometimes you're getting frustrated with him, but then also just that potential that he brings, which he showed tonight is just so unstoppable 
potentially just where he does bring that stretch wing that you love to see in the NBA, where just a very long, lanky guard where you can't put where just there are two extremes. Like you can't put your smaller players on him because he has the height strength to, to, to beat you. But then also he has the speed to go, go against a big man. And so I think we used the word a lot, uh, the word unprecedented a lot in sports in college basketball, for example, Oh, Baylor Gonzaga, they're having an unprecedented year in terms of record. No, Kentucky did this a few years ago. They nearly had an undefeated season, but you're totally right that what Michigan did today was literally unprecedented where they hold Iowa to 57 points. Like you said, under 30 in both halves, just one of the best defensive performances of the year. And what really popped out to me watching it was who won on the block, who won in the low post, because every game, the expectation for a big is almost, we aren't going to stop Luka Garza. Let's try and slow him down. Hunter Dickinson just straight up stopped him. He, uh, Garza tried to take it inside one place stands out where Garza goes inside Dickinson swats it then on the other end Dickinson gets an and one winds up getting the and one winds up getting called off they caught it on the floor but just he was the dominant big man which is worth so much note in a game against Luka Garza right one thing um that stood out was how Garza was so dominant in the low in the low post that they didn't have to bring any help whatsoever and um one thing i, th- I alluded to um earlier in the season was how the i how like the iowa guards could create for themselves in the event in the event that gars in the event that uh garza gets neutralized because like in those indiana games he wasn't very effective and here the guard um the Iowa guard the Iowa guards just couldn't um and the whole Iowa offense just couldn't get uh anything going it certainly started with how um how Garza never required a double down a double inside exactly everything starts around Garza where they have really effective players on the perimeter but it all starts, like you said, with Garza. He, he needs to demand the defense's attention. Like you said, a double team is one of the best case scenarios where they can get it out to an open knockdown shooter, but then also just making these guys take a step into the paint just to see maybe we'll need to bring help. But Michigan's guards did not have to do that because they had no fear of Luka Garza because Hunter Dickinson was inside. It's Garza's worst shooting performance at conference play, aside from a Michigan State game where he only took 11 shots, they won by 30 points. Right, and that and um, one and one thing like with the with the Iowa guards, like they there were a couple there were like a few occasions where they like knocked down a couple where they knocked down like some step oh, some step back threes. So um, interesting. That's the name of our pot um, name of our podcast. Those shots were like heavily contested. And they happened to happened to fall and those were the kind of shots that they were being for were being forced to take do you think they were doing that as tribute to us i've i, I mean i have no idea it's seen i mean i guess may, maybe they would because that was really the they really couldn't get there wasn't really anything else for them to do 
Yeah, so they just decided, hey, let's honor our favorite podcasters. Logan, I don't want to name any names, but there are rumors that Michigan applied oil grease on the floor to injure Jack Nungy and Connor McCaffrey. What are your thoughts? The, the second one, I honestly thought that Wagner, I mean, it seemed like Wagner literally broke McCaffrey's ankle. I mean, that was a pretty nice crossover. And the nun, I don't, the Nungy one, that was kind of just weird because he was like, trying to post up but i guess like posted up incorrectly in some way so yeah, he just injured himself yeah it did just look like one of those freak injuries where there wasn't much contact but just something happened wrong i don't know if it's late february or something if, the, if that's a phenomenon in basketball gyms but right now it does seem like we're entering the wet part of the basketball court season yesterday i was watching some dallas philadelphia multiple guys were falling over boban was setting a screen and slipped right so then it so you're saying that it was due to the um conditions that come with um i guess february on the basketball court not michigan cheating uh we'll go with that right now our meteorologists the meteorologists of the program are investigating but right now uh, there were some earlier theories thrown out about oil grease but right now it just seems as though the 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 g- basketball gyms in late february are very humid we're we're still going to work on that figure stuff out but then for duke duke is back logan i don't know if you heard the haters definitely heard but Duke with an insane, just dominant win over Syracuse. Again, yeah, I that's, have pretty, that's pretty insane to beat Syracuse by 13. Hey, it was a dominant first half. We it that they Duke could have won by 30 if they wanted there. They they dominated the first half. Uh I probably shouldn't have in retrospect, I probably shouldn't have trash talked Syracuse so much because now that we got the quality win over Syracuse, I want it to be a quality win. But I, so now they've got coming up Louisville, Georgia Tech, Carolina. So I would expect they go two and one in that stretch because those are all solid teams, but none of them are ones where I am very non-confident. Uh, I, I think they have a good shot at winning all of those. So I'm feeling good right now. Definitely. You, you didn't sound very. You didn't sound very confident during that. Huh. Well, I am very confident. You know. I don't care if I exude it. I am. Excited. Um, you, you, you stuttered. You stuttered a bit during that sentence when you're trying to <laughs> okay. like display your confidence. Okay. Do you want me to? You, you want to swear me in as a confident Duke fan? I Casey. I, I'm. I'm. I'm just. I just want you to be. I just want you to be truthful with the. Uh, listeners. Okay, here you. You can pretend this computer case is a Bible. I, Casey, swear that I am somewhat confident in Duke going two and one down the stretch of the regular season. That good? Yeah. Thank you. Uh, so then I don't, but yeah, Wisconsin hasn't played since we last convened. They'll have a big game against Illinois coming up. Uh, then St. Mary's yesterday, final home game of the season. The, the senior night stuff is weird where it's senior night, but they're like, okay, we're going to celebrate like it's senior night, but you're probably going to be back next year. And then finally, 
our friends, the Cal Bears. Not much has happened to them. Uh, unfortunately, I haven't watched much Bill Walton lately. I watched a little bit of Oregon Stanford. So I don't know if Bill Walton has any electric quotes about the Cal Bears. Oh, yeah, they, they lost to Oregon State last night by two points. Uh, it's a solid game, but just this team not great at scoring 57 points in that one. Uh, so, yeah, then did Texas play? Uh, we beat Kansas in OT. Right, right, right. That, yeah, that was a great game. Uh, so, I mean, you can say what you want about Texas, but they swept Kansas, which is solid. That first win was really a statement one. And then now, again, it's easy to get tripped up in the Big 12. So even though we aren't in love with Kansas, their defensive numbers over recent weeks are insane. So still beating them is really nice. Right, uh, and this Texas team, I honestly don't. Um, our shooting efficiency is really bad. Like we, we struggled time and time again from the three point arc. Um, Andrew, as seem Andrew Jones is shooting at a really low, really low clip. It's, um, so I got in do that we had been losing quite a bit and we shot it we had another poor shooting night lat um on tuesday but we i guess won somehow exactly ramey's been one of the only efficient shooters he's shooting 43.7 percent but then that's right that it just did seem like they had so many capable weapons but right now jones coleman greg brown maybe aren't hitting as much on their threes. One guy who is another Jones, Kai Jones, he's he's been solid 42% from behind the arc. So Texas is just in a solid place. Just getting that win is nice. Just You got to get some of those. So then Texas Tech on Saturday, and then your only big game left of the season would be at Oklahoma. Then besides that, you just got Iowa State and TCU. It's like, I mean, it's like two pretty big games in the span of two weeks. I mean, that's the yeah, big goal for you. Like, I mean, yeah, I mean, like a break. I, I, you, were, you were making like Duke's schedule sound much more exciting than that. <laughs> yeah, you know, the, the Georgia Tech dynasty, Josh Pastner, coach of the year. Uh, for I, I wonder if they'll uh, elect him coach of the ACC coach of the year if he coerces the committee to get 11 ACC teams into the field. Okay. Let's get to your first takeaway. What do you want to talk about? I guess, um, I'll talk about some non-power five, some non-power five action. I'll talk about the um, two battles really heating up in the conference in the conference USA with um, Western Kentucky, Old Dominion, and Marshall. This is one of those few. This is one of the rare cases in college basketball where a conference has divisions. So in the East, the three teams I just mentioned, and the West, North Texas, the UAB, uh, fan favorite Blazers, and the uh, and Louisiana Tech are at top of um, at top of that division. It looks like this is going. Um, given that no, t- there's not really a perfect team in this conference. It's I believe I don't think I and I'm pretty certain that there uh, won't be any at-large bids, but um, should be an exciting conference tournament there. I mean that Houston 
lost by West Virginia probably buried hope for them. Western Kentucky. Yeah, Western Kentucky's lost. Uh, so that probably buries hope for the conferences at large. But then I, I always like it when these mid-majors can get some at-large buzz. But also it is really exciting having these conference tournaments where, for example, when John Morant was at Murray State, it was super exciting having that title game between Belmont and Murray State. I mean, they both wound up making the tournament, but a lot of the times in those games, it's, okay, you have two super capable mid-majors, but only the winner gets to go to March Madness, and that's just one of the most thrilling things in the entire sport. Right, and that um, now, interests, uh, interestingly, Belmont probably is decisively the uh, strongest team in the Missouri Valley Conference this year. Although they did get boat raced a couple days ago by Eastern Kentucky. Right, yeah, that's well, yeah, same with these mid mid majors. Like you, they can sort of appear to be um, flaw like flaws at points in their regular season, but a lot of them just like aren't very good teams. You realize, like, come tournament time, I mean, that's the thing we just don't know, which is very exciting. Where sometimes you do get a team that maybe was really good but didn't get to prove it like Loyola Chicago in their final four run, but other times it's a team that maybe is the product of a worse schedule. So that is the really fun thing that we, we don't know, which is going into the tournament. A lot of these teams, perhaps they can be a, perhaps they are just a top college basketball team where they do deserve to make the second weekend of March Madness, but also they could flame out in the first round. And that's just one of the things we love about this sport, just the uncertainty. And so yeah, yesterday for Western Kentucky, because that probably was kind of the Super Bowl of this conference where they had the chance to play one of the top 12 teams in the country, Houston. And Houston gets praised for their defense a lot. Here you could really see it in action where they took the ball out of Charles Bassey's hands. He's, good, he's pretty much running away with conference player of the year, though Tavion Kinsey for Marshall is really good. He's averaging 20 a game, but Bassey's been just one of the highlight players. So many dunks, so many great plays. Well, they took it out of his hands. He only had seven attempts from the field. Right. That's really just the Houston. They've been sort of like the top of the metrics in most um, kind of big men areas. Like they've, uh, they're a really strong rebounding team at, rebounding team at both ends and basically i mean if you look at really all top defenses they're really strong uh, like at if you look at like michigan and baylor for example really strong uh paint uh defenses in the paint season no different and i mean they, they again i love their guard scoring on the other end today it was quentin grimes who has highlight potential that few other guys do where you can just feel it in the building and feel it in the Fertitta Center when he's heating up. He went eight for 16 from three, thir 33 points. And yeah, I mean, he, he has, maybe he doesn't have Mitch Ballack range, but he has range and you can just see when he's getting hot. And if you're a Western Kentucky fan, you do not want to see that. That is always a scary thing. I'm sure someone's going to run into it in the American Athletic Conference tournament and it is scary. And then also you got, Marcus Sasser, another great shooter. He, he wasn't great. Uh, then also Dejan Giroux, who has won both ends, and props to him because he's single-handedly bringing back the short shorts in college basketball. Right. Whenever I think of short shorts, I always think of um, Jordan Poole, um, and that was kind of his – that was really his thing. But 
not saying that no one else can adopt that, but that's, um, that's always what I, that's always what I think of, but, um, I guess I'll move, move to the next conference. I want to, I want to talk about being the next mid-major being the Mountain West, which unlike conferences like Conference USA should see, um, at-large bids, I believe like Utah State and Colorado State are kind of, are, and possibly, and I remember seeing Colorado State in like, sound like the last four in our first four out, but those Utah State, Colorado State, and Boise State all kind of um, hovering around the turn, all kind of hovering around the tournament bubble. Pretty likely that um, one that one of them gets an at-large bid. Then there's um, San Diego State who didn't allow um, your prediction and go through. They didn't. They held. They, I believe, they might have won. Did they win overtime or? Yeah, it was, really, it was really. really good game. I, in regulation, there were multiple miscues, but Matt Mitchell really impressed me. Like we said, uh, Malachi Flynn has brought, left huge, left huge shoes to fill, and Mitchell has filled them flawlessly. Obviously, you can see it in the box score with the scoring impact. But then, yesterday, I saw a really smart basketball player. One play comes to mind late where. It did not look scripted, did not look like a planned play where he just slipped into the paint and used a Boise defender as his screener almost. Wide open layup and one to go up by three points in maybe what helped determine the game, helped send it to overtime where they won. One thing, Boise State in that game, I just kind of concerned. They attempted 43s and only um, made 12 of them, which is a third, which is a 30% clip, not pretty. Right. That, that's the thing that we worry about with some of these teams that do rely a bit on the three-pointer, that when it's not going for you, it's not good. That was the case for Derek Alston, who is a great lead player. You, you always hear people rave about him and just his great NBA-type stature, and then he brings that as well in his game, just very NBA-type player. But unfortunately, live by the three, die by the three. He died by it a little bit. He shot six for 16, not, not a horrible clip, but just – that that just that that's what happens if you're not totally on every night. Right. One um I'm kind of surprised like now that I've never looked down Boise State's lineup, but um it's besides I guess like you got the um two kind of small guards in the starting lineup, but it's a um somewhat big roster with like Alston being six nine. You got the and you got like the two f- forwards and like Armist and I don't I don't even know Kigob whatever however you pronounce that, but um, it seems like with the kind of size they bring, they um be able to uh that they'd be able to take advantage of that and not rely so heavily on the three, but that clearly wasn't the case yesterday. Well, yeah, so some of these guys are a little bit str- stretch players where Kigab attempted four threes, Austin attempted 16 because he really is at the end of the day, a perimeter player in a big body. So here's some analytics for you on Boise state, some advanced metrics. Did you know that they have two juniors in the starting lineup? Not, not in terms of junior year, but two people who share the same name as their father. No, it's not. I was not aware of that. Yeah. There's some advanced metrics for you to start your morning. 
yeah, that, I'm, I don't know what I would have done without that information. Then I guess you look at Utah State, who that's kind of who I've been cheering. That's kind of who I've been cheering for in this conference with, um, Kate, who, with Kata, who, um, we've talked up a bit with all the, um, sort of like the defensive, like stat, defensive stat sheet filler averaging, um, three averaging three blocks a game, nine, um, 9.2 rebounds, 1.2 steals and all like those, um, and is one of the leaders in like the defensive win shares and all. I'm not even sure. I'm not all those kind of analytics. I don't really pay attention to, but the, uh, experts bring experts bring up to, um, sound experty. <laughs> I do like experty people, but exactly. You hit the nail on the head there. I mean, the defense, you, you can see it when you watch a game because he, because just every possession, he affects it, whether he's blocking a shot. Uh, I mean, he averages three blocks a game, so he does that a lot, but then also almost on every shot players are a little bit afraid to take it to the rim or even just shoot a jumper. If he's in the vicinity, few guys have that impact. He certainly does. And then perhaps my favorite key to stat, I mean, you can really pick so many good ones, but a 13.2 block percentage, meaning he blocks more than one of every 10 two-point attempts when he's on the floor. I guess, I mean, if you think about that's not like the necessarily like the most impressive stat, given that like the most two-point attempts are inside the paint, and that's basically where he always is. For sure, but it just still is really impressive the way he affects the game. I mean, he's top six in that, or he's top five in that stat of block percentage, but then just, and then offensively also just, he can be a very effective post-up big. I mean, right now he's shooting 59% from two-point range. Right, one, um, I guess this two-game stretch against Nevada, Utah, literally Utah's last chance to um, prove their worth in the regular season. Those two consecutive losses to Boise State and close games were um, pretty were uh, pretty unfortunate for this team. I guess we'll see how they can rebound. Exactly. So right now, San Diego State and Boise look to be pretty firmly in the tournament, lying around those 8, 10, 11 seeds. But then Colorado State and Utah State very far on the bubble. So that's going to be a very exciting conference because that automatic bid is going to mean so much in a conference of uncertainty. And then if you enjoyed Boise, San Diego State, I certainly did. Guess what? We're going to get it again on Saturday. That should be another huge game where if San Diego State can finish the sweep, I think they would put themselves firmly in the NCAA tournament where they would need a little bit of a collapse uh, to fail because this is the, their final game of the regular season. So then they would move into conference tournament. And so as long as they would make the quarters or the semis, I think they would be in great shape. By the way, Logan, I can't believe this, this has really snuck up on me, but conference tournament season is already here. Yesterday, Horizon League play for conference tournament started. So this is just really one of my favorite times of the year as so many different conferences just fight for those automatic bids. Just so exciting. Right. The, um, 
big, the Big Ten still has like a week and a like a we still have like after this week finishes, we still have a week um, of conference play for our tournament starts. But a lot of con- a ton of conference tournaments are any big are going to get rolling next week. Exactly. That, that's what I'm looking forward to these next couple of weeks because we'll probably have some of that where some big big regular season games with some of the Power Five conferences crosses over with some really fun mid-majors vying for tickets to the NCAA tournament. Okay, so my takeaway, this has been another one like Maryland that has flown under the radar a little bit, but they got their statement win on Wednesday. Arkansas is back. They started the season so hot, and then at one point they lost, and we just decided, okay, we're not good. Yeah, they, they lost to Missouri uh, at home by 13. And I think after that we threw them out a little bit, just – stop paying attention to them as much where they were not in the marquee SEC conversation as much as some of these other teams, Missouri, Tennessee, or Alabama, but they got a statement when they didn't just beat Alabama. They beat them by 15. That, that's just really impressive. Right. I mean, Alabama, they're, I don't know. Yeah, they're not, not really good enough to beat a I they're not like I don't know if they're I'd say they're like a good enough team to like consistently um beat the solid beat like those solid teams in their cons clearly um aren't because they've kind of struggled down the stretch but um definitely but nonetheless they're definitely the top dog in this SEC and um Arkan and I don't know. I I believe Arkansas is still. I believe Arkansas is looking at at large bid. Like I'm, I haven't. I haven't um, paid very close attention to the how the SEC is filling out in these um in these in these mock brackets. But um, I'm assuming that would definitely secure their place in the tournament. I mean, one model I'm looking at right now has them on the four seed. So. Yeah, that's yeah. I was I wasn't yeah. I wasn't sure. I assumed like they would be like kind of in the six seed range, but um, yeah, they're definitely firmly in the tournament at this point. I mean, they came into the week twentieth, and then you figure we'll see even more of a bump following a great win to beat Alabama. So I'm excited about this team. One thing that disappoints me is they have Connor Vanover, the Cal transfer. So just as I thought I was free from the Cal transfer curse stuff. Now Connor Vanover comes along and I must lust over him and how he departed the Cal program. Still free of the justice suing portion, but our Arkansas is definitely back. So let's just have Moses Moody go for 40 games so I can just enjoy that instead of thinking about Vanover because Moody is one of the best, most fun freshmen in college basketball. Right. Okay. One. Okay. This is actually impressive. Moody was three for 12 from the field, but still scored 24 points. He shot 19 free throws against Alabama. I mean, exactly. But that's the type of thing that where maybe your, uh, your ability to be efficient doesn't show up in that box score and field goals. But the thing is, I'm okay with him shooting a bad clip from field goal range as long as he 
picks up those fouls, which he did. He was very definitely <coughs> 19 free throws, just incredible. And then also he went two for five from three. So knocking down those shots from behind the arc when it counted. Right. But I don't, I mean, one for seven from, but that means going one for seven from inside the arc. I mean, that's not, I, that's not ideal whatsoever, especially um, against an out, especially against an Alabama defense that um, is that not really, that's not really uh, better than mere, mediocre. I mean, I don't have his true shooting or effective field goal per like I don't have his true shooting percentage on hand right now, but I would imagine that was very efficient because he was able to get to the foul line a lot. And really just I mean, one one for but I mean one for seven on shots that he didn't get that he like didn't get fouled on, I'm guessing um probably like attack probably attack the paint quite often like to well you have to attack the paint quite often to get to the um gets in the line but um against stronger teams that but against stronger defensive teams that aren't gonna foul and he um if you can't convert like any of if you can't really convert any of those shots then that doesn't do you much good i mean right but again like i consider a possession that results in two made free throws just as good as a possession that may, ends in a made two-point basket so i'm again i'm okay with some of those misses and what fascinates me about Moses Moody is just how insane his high school team at Monteverde Academy was. Uh, Cade Cunningham, Moses Moody, Scotty Barnes, and Dayron Sharp—just an unbelievable team. I was saying, like in I don't in high school basketball, especially there's just not the there's just like not really any comp. There's just not really any competition because the top. Um, top players sort of like flood flood these schools which you don't really see as much in like high school football good point for sure there also by caleb houston heading to michigan this year he uh, he attended monteverde as well with those guys so it's just really fascinating to see all those really good players there right i i want um i i wonder if they they, they, I feel like that's like kind of shady. Like they had, there had to be like some sort of, um, there had to be some sort of money involved in like these, um, I get, I don't mind. There has, I wonder if there's like some sort of money involved in like these, um, briberies that certainly take place to draw these players in. Maybe they just had like a really nice lunch, like where they invested all their money in just gourmet mac and cheese and so a bunch of really good basketball prospects were like hey that that was pretty tasty i'll attend there because i mean i'm looking down at their alumni list it's insane ben simmons d'angelo russell philip petrushev uh mamushvili at seton hall uh diakite uh rj barrett presage achua the list just goes on so I, I don't think there's uh, you you say you say you like RJ Barrett now. I mean you I mean I, I still am not his biggest fan in the NBA, but you can't deny that he was the number three pick. He was an All-American, so they produce a lot of good guys. And I would say there's no amount of money in the world that could lure that many players there. So I think the proof must literally be in the pudding. They must have an insane dessert chef. That that's my only explanation right now. 
I, I mean, honest for me, it's, as long as they, um, if there is some sort of rotation on, um, like just serving Chick Fil A, that would be enough for me. Definitely. I mean, uh, I don't know what the NCAA rules are on uh, on DoorDash cards. Well, yeah, but... they, yeah, they had. I don't. Maybe they had some sort of. Um, if they had like some sort of door, uh, some sort of contract with Chick Fil, I don't know. I don't even know why you need a contract to purchase food, but <laughs> we are going to sign this contract so I can uh, buy a Big Mac. Uh, yeah, it makes you wonder. Should like, what if DoorDash or Uber Eats made their own high school academy? Where because then I wonder if maybe it wouldn't count as improper benefits if they were the ones dishing it out because they were the company in the first place if if i ever get appointed ceo of uber eats which is my current life trajectory to do that become the leader of uber eats then my uh then my first move will be to open a high school basketball academy by the way one other guy who attended monteverde one of the best players in all major league baseball francisco lindor Right. I'm, yeah, I guess I, I guess I do uh, baseball as well. Exactly. I mean, again, that, that take, that takes more than great basketball facilities that takes more than uh, bribery that, that takes a great chef and or high DoorDash expense card. Uh, I'm not sure what other explanations there would be. That seems like the clear, most logical one. So Alabama still has a two and a half game lead in, the SEC standings, but you have to like Arkansas as a team, just maybe not even to, maybe they won't win the regular season conference title. They probably won't even win the conference tournament, but it's been a really nice season that should put them in a good spot for March Madness. Right. One, um, honestly, like for me, these, um, if you're like in a, really, if you're a solid team, I feel like in either, in either of like the, the brackets not including that don't include Gonzaga or Baylor. Honestly, I mean, um, I feel like you want if you're a solid team, you honestly like have a shot to go to the final four. Undoubtedly. And we talk about this with some of these teams where part of the key is to have some kind of star power and perhaps have them heat up where I, I was happy, like I said, with most Moody's game against Alabama, very physical performance, but also I believe there is more that he has to offer. We he could have an even better game in March, so I'm feeling very optimistic there. Right, that's um, yeah. In March, this is just when you see really all the all the top players become more um, a bigger factor. Exactly, and that is part of the key is star power because Virginia just right now, that's why I'm so frustrated with them because they don't have the star power where I'm like, okay, if they can get hot at the right time, like maybe Kyle Guy and Ty Jerome and DeAndre Hunter did last time we had a tournament, then they can go all the way. Virginia doesn't have that. I don't think where we try and be optimistic about Jay Huff. He had another solid performance against North Carolina state, but it just isn't enough. They, they need a true, star, which I'm not sure they have, just someone who can handle the ball, score for you, everything. I mean, Huff had 19, but shot one for six from three. It was just a frustrating day for him, deep for him. 
against NC State. But yeah, so that, that that's just a team. That's just one example of it, just a team that maybe I don't have as much confidence in going deep. The only reason I think Kansas can go deep is because they do have at least some of that get hot ability where Abashi could drop 30 points in three consecutive games, and I wouldn't be too surprised just because he has that shooting potential. Right, but I mean, I don't know, it's pretty unlikely. I saw that, I mean, both, I mean, Kansas, obviously I've seen, I don't watch like nearly as much college basketball as you, because I've seen, I've seen Kansas in a somewhat limited capacity, but like against Texas, neither team could make any, make any, or could get really any shots to fall. And that was, again, and for Kansas, that was against the Texas defense. That's, um not not any not really anything special so against teams that can play on both ends of that can actually play like on both ends of the ends of the floor um struggle against one um a team that's more offensively uh more offensive centric is concerning Although let's not pin that on Mbaji because he did shoot five for 11 from deep in that game. And so I still like his outlook to do it. And so that's why I think a lot of teams, it's okay if you're built on a defensive nucleus. I think at the end of the day, Baylor is a defensive team that plays really, 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 really good offense. Uh, and so Kansas just needs to maybe take the offense up a quick notch. And if that's Mbaji, if that's Christian Brown, Wait, up. That doesn't just like happen. That doesn't just happen automatically. Like especially if you're on the um, team that doesn't really have. They don't really have a guy. I don't think. You're right. It doesn't happen automatically, but that's why I am holding out hope for Kansas because it can happen. I don't know what can happen with Virginia. Is it Kihei Clark going to become a? 20 a game score. I don't know, but right now it just isn't doing it for me. Okay. What's your second takeaway from the week? I think I still taught it's more like just some big 10 recap first. Um, I think the two teams from Michigan need to be taken more seriously, both Michigan. Yeah. I'm talking Michigan and Michigan state seems like since Michigan's Corona, since Michigan's coronavirus pause, um, it's obviously been Gonzaga, Baylor, and everyone else, but um, in terms of the everyone else, I feel like Michigan's distancing itself. It's it's not it's not like it's not Gonzaga, Baylor, and everyone else, but Gonzaga, Baylor, then Michigan, then everyone else. I feel like that gap between Mich- um, Michigan, and everyone else is growing larger by the week. I totally agree because. With these two wins over Ohio State and Iowa, Michigan has gone from on the bubble, or not not on the bubble, uh, in Tier 2, to creating their own bubble for themselves at Tier 1.5, where I think it's ridiculous just judging from a couple outcomes, saying, okay, Michigan is in the same tier as Gonzaga and Baylor, who have looked undefeated and dominant every single game, <laughs> except for Tuesday when Iowa State gave Baylor a run for their money. But Michigan, like you said, they are now the clear third best team in the country. Something would need to go wrong for them to fail to get a one seed as long as they 
don't go on a losing streak. As long as they don't go out early in the Big Ten tournament, I think they should be right there playing a 16 seed in the first round. And even, I mean, even if like they like drop the game versus drop the game versus Illinois, and then maybe drop one to some solid opponent in the Big Ten tournament, I think Michigan still would get a one seed because they're, um, I don't know, their plate so far is um, much cleaner than uh, really anyone else in the Big Ten that's, or really anyone else vying for the one seeds. I, I would. Obviously, obviously, besides Gonzaga and Baylor. Right. I would give them that they, so they can lose at least one game in the regular season. So they've got Indiana, Illinois, and then two games against Michigan State, which a couple weeks ago I could have done without it, but it would have been like, okay, Michigan's going to beat win those easily, but Michigan State suddenly is making so much noise that I'm really excited for that to be a two-game series next weekend. So that's the thing. Michigan, they should be firmly on the one. They have at least, like I said, that they can afford to lose once or twice in regular season play, and then they can afford to fall a little bit short in the Big Ten tournament. But also, that isn't the reality. They have the chance to do much better than that, where I believe they can win the tournament. They can make the finals. They uh, they have a lot of potential in that Big Ten tournament. And then, obviously, they're going to be a one seed probably. They're, they're going to have a lot of potential in March Madness. Right. One thing on, um, I'm honestly kind of concerned for this game coming up against Indiana because we saw like how Michigan, how Michigan State, um, just <clears throat> real like really turned on the Jets because they literally had to out of, um, just trying to keep their tournament hopes alive, and they did just did just that. Now sitting on the tournament bubble indiana another team kind of another team fighting for their um fighting for their tournament aspirations given that they're i believe they're sitting at like the last um the last four in which is given that's a mock draft pretty volatile position to be at and they've um they've lost two straight to unranked to unranked opponents so they and this is real and they'll probably be playing like this is their um this is their super bowl given that i mean everyone want everyone wants to win over everyone wants to win over michigan and that would i mean just indiana getting just like a win against michigan and like dropping all other games could vault them into the tournament exactly that is the concern with being the best <laughs> in the conference now clearly that you are the team we come out for. If there's one win we want to get this season, this would do wonders. For example, Indiana and Michigan State come to mind in Michigan's schedule down the stretch where if those teams can get wins over Michigan, that would do wonders for their bubble hopes. And so they're really going to come out for that one. Hunter Dickinson is so strong that he probably won't care, but Trace Jackson Davis is going to give everything he's got on Sunday morning or Saturday morning. Right. One, um, one thing, like, I'm not, like, too concerned because TJD, the thing is, he's, like, a couple inches shorter than Garza and Dickinson completely neutralized Garza inside. And TJD has 
he's not like Liddell who can um, shoot the ball, who can shoot the ball really well. His game is really just um, all, it's just all um, inside the, all inside the paint. And I know that if, um, if he, I know that if he like struggles at points, the whole in the whole Indiana offense doesn't function. Good point. Hunter Dickinson just shut down Luca Garza, a man even stronger than Trace Jackson Davis, a man who can shoot unlike Trace Jackson Davis. And so you make a lot of sense there, but perhaps Indiana can make the upset bid right now. It does seem unlikely. We'll see. But then the headline of the week, obviously, is Michigan State who just a couple weeks ago, Logan, I, I think that I don't want to speculate, but I do believe this is what started Michigan State's run. Us declaring that the Spartans were tanking for Imani Bates, who they already had uh, in some kind of convoluted deal that Izzo made with Bates. But if that is the case, I suppose perhaps Izzo caught wind of the NBA perhaps choosing to let high school players into the NBA draft and said, okay, screw this. We're going to go out and win. We're going to go out and dominate top five teams. That's what they've done. Player that stands out, the MVP of the run has been Aaron Henry, who we were looking for a guy to step up for the Spartans. It's been Aaron Henry over this three-game win streak that feels so much bigger than three games, 27 against Indiana, 20 against Illinois, and then 18 against uh, Ohio State. Right, he's um, really just a great creator from the forward position, which you, um, which you really don't um, often see at all in college basketball. When Michigan faces, when Michigan faces off with um, Aaron Henry, Michigan Sam Sure, either um, Wagner or Livers will be um, two of Michigan's best players. Will be um, facing off Cabeza to Cabeza. <laughs> yeah, uh, check out Guillermo on Jimmy Kimmel if you don't know the reference. But just it impressed me that he's 6'6", six, six, uh, 210. Like, I did not even realize that where you, you watch him play on TV and he just looks so nimble, so agile, so swift that I didn't realize he had that size to bring on the defensive end. So you complimented Franz Wagner for it for Michigan. Like you said, Aaron Henry provides similar appeal for the Spartans. Right, really just, uh, um, I guess not, I was, I was going to say like um, all around a wing, but I, I don't, his three-point shooting definitely um, needs some more shooting, 29% on the season, but he's, but he's definitely the source of this uh, three-game win streak for Michigan State. And the thing is, I don't think anyone's asking him to be that shooter. Sure, it would be nice if anyone could develop a three-point shot where he's deteriorating his time at Michigan State, going from 38% his freshman year to now 29 So that's not ideal, him not being able to shoot. But at the end of the day, it's about his role, which where he's not being asked to shoot. I mean, he's attempted six threes over this three-game win streak, so they're not relying on him there. They're relying on him to penetrate dribble drive, just open up the offense, whether that comes by him taking all the way to the rack for a score in the mid-range or kicking it out to one of the cable options they have or swinging it to one of the 20 post big men. Because against Illinois, I want to say three of their bigs 
fouled out. One of them was ejected. I think that there were a lot of problems they had, and they still just had more guys lining up to come off where they still had Marcus Bingham. They still had Gabe Brown. They still had Joey Hauser, just a stacked cast of bigs. And one thing with um, Michigan, what like Michigan State and Michigan that should be interesting. Michigan State really all you mentioned is all about their um, their their games are really all about their post play and Mich- Michigan's a mu- is arguably the best in uh, sports, arguably the best interior defense in college basketball teams that like to that. Um, like take it inside just haven't um really had really had any success oh um ohio state came really close to being michigan because of uh how they were able to how they're able to um shoot the ball so um michigan state team doesn't shoot really many threes and doesn't shoot at a great clip it'll it would be interesting to see like how they were able to function again uh, basically playing into Michigan's strength. Definitely. So if you're an investor in a fan's happiness where we'll say you get hundreds of thousands of dollars uh, for if either of these teams d- uh, d- does well, if whoever's fans are happy or you, uh, you'll get a bunch of money. Uh, Iowa or Illinois, like who would you invest in right now? As, from like a fan's perspective where, oh, who, who would I be happier with? Who's going to, make me happy. He's going to make the elite eight or whatever. I'd probably invest in, I'd probably invest in, in Illinois at this point. Here's a, um, here's a stat for you. That's actually perfect for the situation in the past 16 NC2A tournaments. There've been 28 teams that finished the year in the top five and adjusted offense efficiency and outside the top 10 adjusted defensive efficiency. Um, and obviously those who, those are teams that received a bid to the NCAA tourney. Um, none of these, none of these teams made to the Final Four, and only three Michigan and Notre Dame in 2015, Michigan in 2014, and Florida in 2012 made it so far as the Elite Eight. Wow. And Iowa and and top teams that apply to this category: Iowa, Ohio State, and Villanova. Exactly. Iowa and Ohio State are leaders in the offensive efficiency uh, for in the Big Ten, one and two respectively. But then turn around and defense efficiency, they're right at the bottom, 13th and 14th in the conference. So that's definitely a concern. And those offensive efficiency numbers, those, I mean, I believe Ohio State's like third and Iowa's first in the nation. That's kind of a, yeah. So since it is the Big Ten, can we call those team? Can can we call any team that ranks below tenth in defensive efficiency? Like, what are they like? An, a negative there, where Iowa, where Ohio State is like the negative third worst team because you have the ten Big Ten, and then below that you just descend into the depths of garbage defense. Right. I guess. Um, well, they're kind of flirt. Yeah, they're kind of flirting with like garbage defense here like getting to um barely i mean i guess they i believe actually didn't you say they're like 13th and 14th i guess they are kind of they are the big 10 doesn't really feature garbage defense i mean iowa definitely held their own that first half but i don't 
there's yeah Iowa and Ohio State just aren't they just definitely aren't in good spots defensively. I mean, right? Uh, yeah, the, they are the worst couple of con- uh, teams in the conference in defense. Whereas Michigan and Illinois maybe are more consistent. Where I mean, it's funny to call Illinois consistent, but good on both ends of the court. Illinois is fourth in both adjusted offensive and defensive efficiency in the conference. Michigan is third on offense, second in defense. Who's first in defense? Wisconsin. That makes I, that actually makes that makes a lot of sense. I once what's Wisconsin on offense? Uh, let's see. They are seventh. Not not too bad, but yeah. Uh, Wisconsin again, they just don't they have that star power issue where I still have some hope for Demetrius Trice where he is that guy where if okay, if he can average 25 a game, maybe they can make a deep run, but their lethargic offense does not lend me a lot of hope. One um one thing I just thought about like one Michigan, they're probably like they're only kind of like really their biggest Achilles heel is forcing turnovers. They're one one of like the worst teams in the nation at forcing um, teams to turn the ball over. Um, only forced nine turnovers turnovers versus Iowa, but they played like such they played such good defense in the inside and on the perimeter that that just didn't really that didn't have really any factor that didn't really factor into the game. I mean, like you said, they they do not force turnovers. Well, their turnover percentage is fourteen point seven, which is worst, which is the worst number in the Big Ten, and is the three hundred thirty ninth best in the nation. Exactly, that's what I was saying. We're one of the one of the, one of the yeah. worst teams at forcing turnovers in um, college basketball. The I feel like every um, every sports writer likes to pick on us for that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I can't blame them because you got to find a flaw with that Michigan team, and that might be turnovers. But does that really matter? I mean, obviously, you want to get turnovers, jumpstart your offense. But at the end of the day, I'm not sure how much I really care because Michigan is holding teams so much that they don't need to rely on those turnovers. So, my second takeaway after that incredible, 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 incredible win streak for Oklahoma where they were dethroning top 10 teams left and right. I said, they just have to play a decent February to be in great position where just don't, don't lose dumb games. Just, I said, just win the ones that you have to Iowa state, Kansas state. And in when Kansas state dressed in some of the nastiest uniforms I've ever seen, they the Oklahoma Sooners, I don't know if they were blinded by the ugliness or what, but they lost to Kansas State by five. One of the worst losses of the season, a Kansas State team that that lost to a Division II team earlier in the year. And Oklahoma still should be a top five seed because they did get a good February win over West Virginia in double overtime in Morgantown. But this just isn't the kind of loss you want to see from a team that I was already having a few trust issues with. Right. I, yeah, I don't even know, like, how you, yeah, you really just, there's, you, like, can't really defend Oklahoma in this situation. I mean, they shot 39% um, and 20% from the three, the three point, uh, the three point arc 
only put up 57 points against um, Kansas State, who, let's see, on average allow on average allows 71 um, 71 points points per game. I it was in there. I mean, really, you can only and they're clearly the second worst team in the Big Twelve. I just, just yeah, that's just really yeah. You just can't really um, defend Oklahoma here. This was the week for garbage Big Twelve teams between Kansas State upsetting Oklahoma and Iowa State giving Baylor, who many consider the best team in the entire country, a run for their money. Maybe we can talk, start talking about the. I want some Big Twelve coach, perhaps Bob Huggins, to say, "Okay, Big Twelve is a pull a Josh Passner and say the Big Twelve is a ten bid league." Uh, Iowa State, Kansas State, TCU, these teams are working hard. I mean, I actually like TCU. RJ Nemhard is dynamic, but you get my point. Uh, just have some coach advocate for every team in the entire conference to make the tournament. All right. One in this Iowa State Baylor game, Iowa State shot 48% against the nation's best, I believe, against the um, nation's, well, against what I believe to be the nation's best. Defense and analytics would say the um, would say the same thing. Iowa pot, maybe might have won this game if they hadn't turned the ball over seventeen times. Definitely, uh, yeah. I mean, that was the thing. Iowa State. I'm like, okay, are they a really great scoring team or what? Because Baylor wasn't collapsing on defense; like, it wasn't a chemistry issue on that and where they were still playing their normal cohesive defense. It was just Iowa State was throwing up shots, and they were going in. It was incredible, just a perfect storm for Baylor, where I had a few minutes where there where I was like, okay, just with the way Iowa State is randomly making shots, is there a chance they win this? Not by any fault of Baylor, but just because of some really random shots. And by the way, Baylor is 12th right now in adjusted defensive efficiency. Guess who's 13th? Wisconsin? I don't know. St. Mary's Gales. Message to the haters has been sent. Well, I mean, that's I, – that, I mean, they should limit that to, like, power five teams or power seven teams. I mean, you can you, – you could limit the variables. But the, I mean, it's – the stat is literally called adjusted defensive efficiency. So, I'd hope that they adjust for – What, for <laughs> playing trap – for playing garbage teams like Pacific – Hey, Pacific's a good team. They're coached by Damon Stoudemire, so perhaps he transfers some of his NBA greatness to th- those players. It does. It never ceases to amaze me that Gonzaga is the number one offensive team and then fifth in defensive efficiency. Just a, a lot of really good teams on both ends of the floor. That's what has to scare you about Baylor and Gonzaga, that they play just so well on both sides. Yeah, yeah. I know, I know. I'm actually, I'm actually – I'm not scared of not. I'm not scared of um, Baylor and Gonzaga at all. Definitely, um, when we inevitably face them in the Final Four, I'm sure we'll uh, win by twenty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's the confidence you got to bring. It's like my confidence in Duke going two and one down the stretch. Also, just with Baylor, we haven't talked about him in a little while, so I just want to give him some recognition. Davion Mitchell is still one of my favorite players in the country. Where 
Jared Butler probably is a better. Uh, over- what what makes what makes these like rant? It's like you have like random players that are your favorite players in the country, like TJD and who plays for like the struggling Hoosiers, then Davion Mitchell, who's kind of been been like Butler's shadow the whole season. Like what what, what inspires you? I just am really impressed by Mitchell and I'm disappointed by the lack of shine he gets where I'd say on most pro, because he still is one of the best defenders in the country. He gets enough credit for that. The media recognizes him for being such a great defender, but in all that, I am disappointed by how his some of his offensive game, which can be really dominant, gets lost in the shadow of Jared Butler. I mean, he carried them to that Texas win a little bit. He had 27 points. He he can do that sometimes where he does get hot and he can be sometimes the lead guard for them. So offensively, I just want to see him get a little bit, a little bit more recognition. He is averaging 5.7 assists almost 53% from the field, 13.4 points. It's just a really impressive season for him offensively, and I do want to see him get a little bit of credit for that because I do really like Jared Butler, but also I think Davion should get a little bit of credit as the lead guard at points because that's what he can do. He can take over for you and be that lead guy. I I think probably if you want to do the old – media debate like oh whose team is it probably is Jared Butler's team but sometimes on many nights Davion Mitchell can be the best player right I'm um yeah you definitely I don't pass the credit the credibility test of um I guess how much your liking of players makes sense if that makes sense yeah, I don't, I don't just – though it would be fun if I had – maybe that's what I'll do next season. Next year in our tournament, in our preview, I'm just going to put – enter every player in college basketball onto one of those wheel-to-side things. I think that you can only have 100 options, but I'll, I'll shell out the money for the premium option, premium wheel-to-side, and then I'll get every player in college basketball, and I'll randomly pick one to like. But for this year, unfortunately, yes, I do make my decisions based on some amounts of – watching game and looking at stats. Uh, Also with Davion Mitchell, it may or may not have something to do with the fact that every time I see him, I just think Donovan Mitchell, like because Donovan Mitchell is such a great offensive player. And so I just see a little bit of Davion, Donovan Mitchell and Davion Mitchell because they both wear 45 and have Mitchell on their back. So I'm like, oh, it's like the same person. So, so so yeah, for a few possessions game, I'm like, oh yeah, that's Donovan Mitchell, but it is Davion Mitchell and, he is not Donovan Mitchell on offense, but he still is a really capable player who is one of the best for Baylor. One thing, this is kind of a flex, but you know, um, what's you know the last college basketball team to beat Donovan Mitchell? Michigan. Indeed. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Okay, that, that, that's good. I more meant Donovan Mitchell's pro career, but sure, you can take credit for beating him at Louisville. Uh, so let's, let's get to some predictions. So we're not going to give out all of our – starting next week, we'll do biweekly predictions, by which I do not mean every other week. I do mean twice a week. But because Logan's prediction for Baylor-West Virginia got canceled, we're going to let him make another choice. Yeah, kind of um... – there's, I mean, I think I'm going to take Ohio State over Iowa on Sunday. 
Um, I guess. I mean, I, Iowa might be. I guess both both teams are coming off losses, so I guess that kind of evens the playing field. But Ohio State at home, that a team that I like a little more than, um, that I personally like a little more than Iowa at the moment, because I feel like, um, Ohio State's a little more capable defensively than, um, than Iowa. And, Liddell and Washington, they're just really impressive to me. So, um, yeah, I'll take Ohio State at home versus Hawkeyes. You mentioned how the playing field was leveled because they both are coming off losses. Are you implying that some kind of momentum factor exists where you do better after wins? Because if so, Logan, that, that's very offensive to my culture of no, no momentum. No, it's rit- rhythm is what we use now. and they're, they, they both – they're – both teams are rhythmically moving the wrong way. Oh, okay, good. Uh, yeah, I, I was worried for a sec there. Okay, rhythm. That, that, that's that's totally cool. Uh, I wonder who I wonder who has good rhythmic gymnastics teams. Like, is rhythmic gymnastics a college sport? Because I really would be curious. Like, is Iowa a rhythmic gymnastics dynasty? Uh, I have I, don't, I have no idea. I thought we kept you on here just for your insights into rhythmic gymnastics. Uh, <laughs> just no comment on that. You're, you're not going to. It sounded like you were like searching something up. I was wondering if you're like getting some insight on the rhythmic gymnastics, but I do have no comment on that. It looks like rhythmic gymnastics, according to a Reddit post, it looks like rhythmic gymnastics is not part of the NCAA. Yeah, okay, th- that's okay, Logan, though, if you don't want to share your rhythmic gymnastics insight. I mean, uh, that knowledge that you have on it is worth a lot of money. Wouldn't want you to just give that away for free on here. But just one more thing before we get to some A10 watch, some weird flex. I'm really excited for this. So next weekend is the NBA All-Star game, all the All-Star activities Obi Toppin's going to be in the dunk contest which if you watch him play one game just one game at Dayton which I mean he had so many great highlights I believe against George Mason it was when he pulled out that unbelievable through the legs dunk but I'm I'm just like if so if you've seen Obi Toppin play at all you you know how exciting this is just going to be in in games he is a highlight reel just a walking talking highlight reel always ready to make a dunk and now the fact that he's going to be in this dunk contest it really excites me i guess i'm not too thrilled about your nba imposterism and on um the college basketball podcast but i guess this is kind of a tribute to how toppin was in college so i'll accept it Hey, yeah, I, I'm, I'm thinking about college Obi Toppin right now. I've, uh, I've obviously seen him play a few times in the NBA, but it's, it's still like what makes me excited is not the New York Knicks Obi Toppin, who is not averaging huge scoring, but the Obi Toppin, who is the most spectacular player in college basketball last year. So that, 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 that's how I operate that. Until someone outgrows their college legend in the NBA, I'm still allowed to talk about them on here because they still are in our mind like a college player jay james wiseman he's already for most rookies i can still talk about them uh but james wiseman since he played so few college games and he's already 
played quite a bit in the NBA. Now, now he's kind of expelled from our list. Other guys like, I mean, Trey Young was so dynamic in college, but now he's playing well in the NBA. So there are a lot of rules to follow when it comes to referring to NBA players on college basketball podcasts, but I try to follow them all. Okay, quickly, some A-10 watch. So, Logan, we're, we're diehard Billikens fans. It is not easy being Billikens fans. The rest screwed us over against VCU. There was a ticky-tack foul at the end that sent VCU to the line, gave them the game-winning free throws, and then two guys fouled out. Uh, Hassan French and Martin Lindzen, uh, and then another great player for St. Louis also had four fouls. So as we know, Logan, as lifelong Billikens fans, it's not easy being fans of this team. The refs seem to always aid us. They're just jealous of our mascot, but we'll have to persevere in spite of the refs. Yeah, also Jordan Goodwin had picked up four fouls, so it was just a, a lot of whistles against the Billikens, but despite that, I still think we got a shot at maybe making the tournament. It'll probably take a deep run in the Atlantic 10, but right now it's not a great place to be. We're taping this obviously before our game against Richmond. Right. I mean, it looks like now we are in need of um, the automatic bid via the conference, via winning the conference tournament. Right, right now at the with the model I'm looking at, they're the 13th team out. Right, I, I, that's actually they're quite specific. That's that's quite specific. That that should be like a weird. That's like a weird flex thing. <laughs> like, how what uh what other teams besides us can say it? they're the 13th team out in the some random um what's it, some random bracket uh mock? Yeah, this is uh. This is Bart Tovic. It's, it's really good analytics website. Shout out to them. You know who's 18th Logan? The St. Mary's Gale. So just got to move up a little bit. We're so close. I only, I see 1.1% bid percentage, but whatever. That's, yeah, that's so, probably their chance to beat Gonzaga. Yeah. So yes, yeah, probably somewhere in there. Also, again, perhaps the chance for Gonzaga to opt out of the conference tournament. Then some other headlines. Dayton got upset by St. Joseph's. That one took me by surprise because I was beginning to embrace the Flyers as one of the best teams in this conference. But instead, unfortunately, St. Joe's probably one of our least favorite teams in the conference because I think they have like a boring mascot. Like, what are they, Eagles? Yeah, they're Hawks. That, that's really boring. I mean, the Atlantic 10 is the conference of mascots. So it does hurt to see a team with no regard for the mascots defeat. Uh, a great one like the Dayton Flyers. But then fortunately in the Department of Mascots, we had a great one. We had the Battle of the Georges. It was a close one. George Mason prevailed over George Washington. Uh, but I mean, so it, so I guess there's some revisionist. Who was George Mason? Let's see. George Mason was a politician, one of three delegates who refused to sign the Constitution. See, so George Washington loses to some dude who refused to sign the constitution that's that's the story of the atlantic 10. that team is unconstitutional yep uh exactly so george washington unfortunately our buddies right, yeah that, that was that was really that was really clever <laughs> no, that's good. Uh, yeah. So George want they shouldn't they shouldn't be allowed to play George. Definitely. I mean, uh, just 
two great teams face off. George Mason wins, but perhaps Washington will roar back. Does look yeah, like I, I think that they shouldn't be allowed to face off against George Washington because they didn't sign the Constitution. Good point, but this is the Atlantic 10. We got to have those games, so perhaps we'll just make George Mason throw the next one. Yeah, I mean, not no. This is this is not a matter of perhaps, but a matter of um, must. Yes. Yeah, like a it's a when, not an if. Good point. Yeah, uh, we have to give some kind of great Thomas Jefferson type constitutional leaders speech just to get the entire Atlantic Ten to either expel traitorous George Mason from the conference. Now, I thought it would be St. Joe's, but I guess St. Joe's and George Mason will both be some of our least favorite teams in the conference. Uh, but yeah, we'll, we'll just have to have everyone unite, kick out these George Mason morons, get St. Joe's to get a better mascot. I don't know, but this, yeah, so that's the Atlantic 10. Then coming up this weekend, Billiken Spiders, Richmond St. Louis, but then the other one is going to be VCU Davidson. So it's going to be an interesting weekend. One more thought before we get to reflect, but okay. Logan, I warned you about, uh, about not beating Ohio State too badly against uh, uh, on Sunday. Well, we didn't beat them. We did not beat them too badly. The refs tried to keep them. I mean, the refs even tried even tried to keep Ohio State in the game. Okay, but you should have made it a little bit closer. You should have let them miss on the final buzzer or something because, like I said, I warned you about sending them into a tailspin, and you did just that. Now, they, now they're lost. They're confused. Uh, they don't know where to go. Uh, maybe you're just, I don't know. Maybe you're just thinking about Wisconsin, but. Um... <laughs> Fair point. Uh, okay, we'll take a quick break. Be right back. For some more okay. Okay, welcome back. So this is going to be a little bit of a mishmash, weird flex, other stuff, everything. Logan, you, you had another stuff to share? Yeah, I guess I've been, um, over the past couple of weeks, I've been watching, I, I've talked about my Survivor viewership quite a bit. I'm currently watching um, Season 21 Survivor Nicaragua. Um, oh, Jim Johnson? Right, that's... Um, Simon, I think there were like six people left or something right now. Um, and there's this the first time we watched it. So don't, I'm sure you've probably watched this already, but uh, this kind of drew our interest because we've been to um, we've been to Nicaragua. My family has. So, yeah, that's been um, interesting. And what's weird is like the weather when we were there is way better than it is in the season of Survivor. Yeah, interesting. Like, I mean, in those tropical places, you can get so much weather variance. Nicaragua, what a weird season of Survivor, where they had, like, what, the medallion of power for a few episodes there? And two people quit, and they held a tribal council just to decide whether the people would quit or not. <laughs> it's going to be kind of disappointing if, like, this had a tribal... I, bet, I wonder if that was kind of... There are tons of, like parts of survivor that are staged i've educated myself on the staging quite a bit but like they probably like made them quit honestly because they wouldn't just hold a tribal council if they weren't going to quit that'd be kind of like um anticlimactic for the viewers i mean i would think they didn't make them quit but they're like okay fine if you're gonna quit then you gotta do it at the big moment at tribal in front of jeff and everyone Right, and then I love how Jeff continuously called them quitters. As 
yeah, not because I don't, I felt, I don't, I felt no sympathy for the quitters. Like you get like a shot at a million, um, million dollars and you're going to quit like three fourths of the way through. I don't really understand it, but, um, yeah, that's, so it's been an interesting season so far. Yeah, it's a fun one where a lot of these survivor seasons, I mean, there's some of them that are just glorious, just perfection, like winners at war, heroes versus villains, but then others just are a little bit campier, just have a lot of fun to them, like Nicaragua. Exactly. Okay, so I have a weird flex. So this is going to be the weirdest of flexes. I, I just, uh, I was just thinking about this this past week. And this is, so my uncle, who I'm not technically related to by blood, like he married my aunt, uh, he just has two hilarious sports things where for some reason, just, I love thinking about this because this is the ultimate weird flex in middle school. He got dunked on by Penny Hardaway. That is, that's, <laughs> I, that's an amazing flex. I know. I mean, I'm pretty sure I, I should have created this weird flex, but okay. Just for that exact aspect, because I mean, that is the epitome of a weird flex, just getting dunked on by a future NBA all-star. Right. I, yeah. Who? Yeah, that's, uh, that has to be, I mean, that's pretty surreal to think about. Yep. Uh, so but I would assume James Wiseman has, uh, oh, right. I can't mention James Wiseman because he's our, but we'll assume Shma Shma, who will be no, the James one that like had the kid that wanted to kill me. <laughs> uh, no, no, no. This is on my mom's side. <laughs> but uh, so JW will call him uh, the protege. Uh, Jason or... Williams, white chocolate. No, JW went to Memphis last year. I can't say his name because of his NBA alum, because he was an NBA alumnus, uh, or he's in the NBA right now with the Golden State Warriors. But I bet he dunked on Penny Hardaway at one point. So by transitive property, JW has dunked on my. Uh, uh, has dunked on my uncle uh, and then my other weird flex about him was he attended the same uh, like he went to high school in Tennessee he attended the same high school and then went on to uh, as the uh, he and he played on that football team as the school with the we ready remember that a couple years ago the we ready yeah 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 so th those are just two of the most random flexes I I just had but that, that's what this whole category is about, just some weird random flexes, but okay, just random connections. Uh, so, yeah, that's weird flex, but okay. Uh, Survivor Nicaragua, I mean, yours was another stuff. We're kind of figuring out other stuff, weird flex, but uh, yeah, so uh, that's other stuff. That's weird flex, but okay. Uh, really fun college basketball episode. Just I'm looking forward to weekend slate. Plenty of fun ahead. We'll see you then, Logan, for some more college hoops. All right, see you then, Casey. Bye-bye. Okay, bye bye